This episode of VergeCast is brought to you by Qualcomm Snapdragon Gigabit LTE. With download speeds up to seven times faster than typical home Wi-Fi, Snapdragon Gigabit LTE can turbocharge all of your connected apps. You can stream 360-degree videos in 4K resolution with minimal buffering. You can access files in the cloud nearly as fast as you would if they were stored on your phone. And you can download hours of movies or music in a matter of seconds. To learn more, visit snapdragon.com gigabit today. Hello, and welcome to VergeCast, the flagship podcast of the Verge Media Empire. That sounds good. Also, it's a part of the Vox Media Podcast Network, and we are the best part of that network as well. Hmm. Like a, like the best node. If, if best we're the node. empire, what is the Vox Media Network? The, well, we're an empire. What, what's it called on BitTorrent? Like That's the, it. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the, one, the good things to connect to on BitTorrent. You know, not just peers, but like super, super peers. It's something like that. Yeah. Magnets? Yeah, no. That's something else. That's got a, a link. Super seeders. Yeah. <laughs> sure. We're that. Uh, <laughs> you will notice that we are not live this week. I want to thank everybody who came out to the live show in San Francisco last week. There was like 200 plus people there, 250 people there. Uh, they were all great. We like talked to all of them. I shook all of their hands and then didn't have hand sanitizer, but mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not sick. So, so all of them were very good clean. Good job being a clean audience. <laughs> That's what you want. <laughs> uh, it was super fun. It was really nerdy. It was a great I show. Loved it. Um, it was just a great time. But we're back in the studio. Uh, Dieter is not here this week. He's working on a super secret thing that I think all of you are going to like very much. But I'm here. I'm Neil I. Paul's here. Hello. Dan Seifert's here. Hi. Uh, and a little bit later on, Lauren Good's going to be joining us to talk about the Apple Watch. So full crew, tons of news, big week of news. Uh, we should maybe just get into it. Let's get into it. You want to do some jokes? <laughs> we could do some jokes. No, let's get into it. Okay. So okay. <laughs> it, last week was Apple News Week. This week is Apple Reviews Week. Ah, yes. Is basically how I'd put it. It's the most wonderful time of the year. The most exhausting time <laughs> of the year. Um, I got the, by, by the way, the Verge Video Crew is like heroes. They've... They've just been up all night and day producing all three of these Apple review videos and a bunch of other stuff that's going on. So props to them. Um, but the iPhone 8 did that review. The 10, off in the distance, looming. Don't even think about it right yeah, now. You're Full not supposed to know about that. design, <laughs> just a notch steadily rising over the horizon, <laughs> a black bar of chaos coming for us all. That's great. But we, we reviewed the 8 and the 8 Plus, and they're fine. I think my, my, uh, my deck was, it's an iPhone. Indeed it is. And I, I particularly wanted Dan here because he reviewed the S8 and the Note 8. Mm-hmm. And one of my lines was this design of the iPhone 8 is actually way behind the S8. So I, w- I want to talk about that with you in particular. We, we should maybe whisper about the iPhone 10 looming again in the distance. But it's an iPhone, right? Like the, the 8 is an iPhone. It has a glass back. It supports wireless charging. The wireless charging is just as slow as wireless charging has always been. Actually, uh, it's slower than what you get on other wireless charging. Oh, because it's not... It's not fast wireless charging. It's regular wireless charging. So here's the color on that. Right now, their wire, Apple's wireless charging system, based on the Qi standard, will, drive, will draw five watts of power, which is the same as their little wall charger they ship with the phone. They're releasing a software update to iOS 11 that will let them draw 7.5 watts of power. I believe so, yeah. Is that fast charging? 
Uh, you know, it's hard to say if it's exactly the same as what Samsung calls fast wireless charging, but it probably gets it closer there. I don't remember off the top of my head the spec for Samsung's fast wireless charging, which is actually based on Qi but built on top of it. So, yeah. like, you need a Samsung phone with a Samsung fast wireless charger or fast wireless compatible charger yeah. to do it. A real Samsung's, Apple uh, move. Samsung <laughs> says that their fast wireless charging is 1.4 times faster than standard wireless charging. Yeah. So yeah, so it sounds like 7.5 watts. That's about 7.5. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. So, then, but, but even sure. even fast, quote, fast wireless yeah, charging fast. is pretty slow. Yeah. <laughs> Especially now that we've got, like, fast wired charging, which is, yeah. like, really fast. And to be clear, the iPhone 8 is also getting the USB-C fast charging? So this is, I think, very confusing. Mm-hmm. So most fast charging on Android phones is enabled by a Qualcomm chipset because mm-hmm. they all basically have the same Qualcomm chipset. Right. Apple, you may remember, is suing Qualcomm, mm-hmm. not really using Qualcomm chipset, but I think they know they have to say they have fast charging. So they, they, they're saying they have fast charging. What they mean, and I think this is where it gets a little wonky, is that on the regular adapter they ship in the box, same as ever. If you plug it into an iPad adapter, it goes pretty fast. And this is where the USB-C thing comes from. If you buy their USB-C to lightning cable and the MacBook's 29-watt <laughs> USB-C yeah. adapter. A.K.A. spend $80 in charging accessories. <laughs> <laughs> then you get 50% charge in about 30 minutes. But I just used it with my iPad charger, and iPad chargers are like everywhere. Um, and that got me to 40% in 30 minutes. But here's I have used an iPhone with an iPad charger forever. I always buy the higher spec charger. So I don't I, – I think – It's like they're like, it's fast charging. I, I don't think the iPhone has like supported faster charging, at least not officially. Yeah. Even if you use the iPad charger, like you can use it and it will charge fine. But I don't know if it But when I plug it, When I plug my 7 into an iPad charger, it tra- charges way faster than an, yeah. with a wall plug, the regular wall plug. I think a lot of people do that. Yeah. I mean, like, I do it too. I'm just saying, I think it might be a little bit of a placebo effect. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's definitely faster. Okay. All right. But now I think it's like officially faster. Yeah. Apple's never said it's faster. Apple's never directed anyone to go plug their phone into an iPad charger to get faster speeds. But now it's saying, if you buy the MacBook charger, which I think with the cable, it's going to cost you like $80. It's ridiculous. Uh, you will get faster charging in that advertised spec. of. But of course you have a MacBook charger because you've been doing nothing but buying brand new MacBooks with USB-C plugs this whole time. Yeah, that, I mean, and, and not being able to plug your iPhone into them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to buy a special cable. Anyway, I think all of this is, this is all kind of already worked. And now it's like a little bit more official. And they're calling it fast charging to compete with the fact that Android phones have Actually what you might fast call charging. fast. Like they have like chipset support. There are fast chargers. They go really fast, right? It's like 50% in 10 minutes. Yeah, I mean the way that fast charging always works is that if you have a totally dead phone from starting from zero, it'll charge up to 50% really quickly. So that's why you get that zero to 50 in 30 minutes or zero to 40 in 30 minutes or whatever. And then it tapers off really hard. Yeah. So getting that ne- next 50% can take up to two hours. Um, but you know, if you're stuck in an airport and you only got 10, 15 minutes to charge, it's great. So that's the iPhone eight. It's a bunch of, it's a bunch <laughs> of charging talk. It's Everything you talk. expected with a bunch of confusion around charging. <laughs> <laughs> what, would a, what would a new Apple product in 27 be 
if it wasn't for cable confusion. <laughs> Here's the real dream. Here's what you can do with the iPhone 8. Yeah. You can charge it and also listen to music with the included earbuds. <laughs> Well, you know, now that you got wireless charging, you can, like delicately hold your head near your nightstand so you don't bump it off the wireless charging stand. <laughs> now you got to buy AirPods. Oh, right. the, but yes. I guess you could then charge it, listen to music too. Yeah, there you go. Until your AirPods die. So here's what I want all the Vergecast listeners to do: go to the Apple Store and buy all of the charging accessories. <laughs> Please run exhaustive tests, and then we'll just talk. You just send them to us, and we'll talk about it next week. Because this is very tiresome. Um, but internals, the iPhone 8, interesting, right? Same chip as the iPhone 10 or X. Everyone in the world is calling it the X. I almost uh, refuse to call it the 10. Yeah. <laughs> I say X so many times. I, I think they did that on purpose. I think they know people are going to call it the iPhone X. It solves the 8, 10 problem. Like, I was out with friends, and they're like, why does the 8 exist if there's a 10? And then a lot of them are like, where's the 9? And they were like... Visibly uncomfortable. It's with over. The idea of it's over in the nine. graveyard with the uh, Galaxy Note Six and Windows Nine. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's where the iPhone Nine is. So I think they did. It's clever. I think it's a very clever move to call it, have everybody call it the iPhone X. Have it officially be the iPhone. Great, you did it. Um, but same processor. I thought this story was great. You know, we went to the event. We went to our our meeting, um, and they were just very direct. Like, yeah, you know. Our old chips had boring names. Now they have interesting <laughs> names. I mean, it's such a funny thing to me that Apple A11 Bionic, by the way, is is directly answering the fact that Qualcomm calls its snap uh, its chips Snapdragon, yeah, and Samsung calls its chips Exynos, yeah. and like uh, I forget what Huawei calls its chips, but like uh, Kirin Bexynos. or something. It's like <laughs> Kirin. Yeah, I think it's Kirin. Kirin, uh, not Bexynos. <laughs> <laughs> Hexanos. <laughs> Snapsinos. <laughs> uh, but, like, I, I think that's hilarious. And it's such a, like, thing that you don't expect Apple to acknowledge. Yeah. And especially, like, such a stupid thing. Like, who gives a crap if it's I called mean, Bionic I, or whatever? Like, well, I, go walk down the street, find somebody with an iPhone, which will take you half a second because everyone has one. Yeah. And, and ask them what chip is in their phone. And they're not going to know. They're not going to care. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I get it. Right? Like, if you can, why wouldn't you? Yeah. If I could just like go around branding everything in this office, I would. I'd be like, here's the desk of power. Like, fine. Um, but it's the same chip. The wide angle cameras on all three phones, 8, 8 plus, 10, all the same. Optical stabilized, f1.8. Deeper great. pixels. <laughs> get that Deep second. pixels. Uh, and then the, the difference really in the cameras, the dual camera, is that the 10 has a second optically stabilized f2.4 telephoto and the 8 plus not stabilized f2.8 these are totally wonky details i don't think it matter anybody under any circumstances but those are that those are the facts yeah crucially i think that the thing that hasn't changed from the 7 plus is is they've upgraded the cameras across the board and they're all new sensors but the telephoto sensor is still an inferior one to the wide angle one yeah it's better than the telephoto sensor that was in the 7 Plus, but it's still not as good as the wide-angle one. I think that is all fundamentally there for the portrait mode stuff and not necessarily for the zooming stuff. Right. But as Paul was saying, the sensors are also different. Still 12 megapixels for the wides, um, but slightly bigger. And Apple says they have deeper pixels. Which I'll admit I did not look into to actually figure I, out what I, I asked them 
what a deeper pixel was. Uh-huh. And they actually responded by saying it's deeper. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so their, their answer to me was it has a deeper light well that captures more photons. So which uh, implies that camera sensors are made of buckets, yeah. which I thoroughly enjoy as a metaphor for camera sensors. All the, it's, yeah, if they're they're buckets that collect drops of light. Yeah, exactly. So the deeper the light, the less the deeper the bucket, the less likely that those drops of light are going to spill into the other bucket next to it. This, it's actually deeper pixels is like it sounds like in a crazy Apple marketing mm-hmm. thing, but it actually has existence before okay, Apple used okay, it just, in, in, in uh, image sensor design. Just to make sure I'm getting this right. So I'm imagining a grid of, of sensors, of buckets. Like light sensors, right? A grid of buckets, square buckets, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And each bucket <laughs> detects light. And Apple is saying that those buckets are now deeper mm-hmm. so that like... So what happens is when you have pixels, at the pixel level, light can bleed from one to another. Right. And then you get things like chromatic, well, chromatic aberrations is a lens thing, but you get things similar to that effect where you get like reds and greens and stuff that blur like on the pixel level when you zoom in really, really close on the detail. A deeper pixel helps or is designed to help prevent that spillover. So it's like a a lens hood per pixel. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, there you go. It's a mud flap. It's a barn door. <laughs> yeah, it's a barn door. <laughs> Why not? Uh, <laughs> How many metaphors can we throw at this? <laughs> uh, and then the screen on the 8 is uh, True Tone, which I turned on, and then I turned off, and then I True Tone's on one again. of those great technologies that you're not supposed to think about, and it just makes your experience better. And nice. you don't notice it until you turn it off, or if you do turn it off, but like I use it on my iPad Pro all the time, and I love it, and it's great to look at my iPod Post Pro yeah, screen. I, I have left it on. It's been great. Yeah. Cool. Um, and that's it. I think that's it. You, you said you like that it's heavier. I do like that it's so the glass back is definitely heavier. The mm-hmm. phone uh, it feels ever so slightly thicker. It fits perfectly in iPhone 7 cases. I think it actually is thicker. I'm just saying in terms of when you hold it in your hand, mm-hmm. it is definitely a more that substantial hand feel. Hand feel, if you yeah. will. Yeah. A substantial hand feel. Thank you, Dan, for this moment <laughs> together. You're saying it, it feels good in the hand. It feels good in the hand? <laughs> okay. All right, great. Anyway, um, yeah, it feels, it's not I mean, as slippery. It, it's nice to hold. Yeah. But and it's still gigantic. The plus in particular is yeah, gigantic. Yeah, yeah. And so my, you know, I reviewed the thing. We leaned way hard into, well, it's boring. Let's just like acknowledge that it's boring in this video right at the beginning. So like we calmed it way down. We didn't like overproduce it. I thought it was fun to do. Um, but at the end of the day, my feeling with this phone is like lots of people bought an iPhone 6. And they've just held on to them. They're out there. They should probably get a new phone. And so, like, they're going to go and they've got, I don't know, AT&T Next or Ed, Verizon has Edge. Jump. T-Mobile has Jump. Maybe they're on an iPhone payment plan from Yeah, Apple. Apple has their own payment plan. They're just going to, like, get a new phone. Like, they've paid off the old phone. They've been making payments. You should just, like, go trade in your 6 and get an 8 and you'll be happy. And that, to me, feels like, like this is what I call it in the review, like, the default It's a Toyota option. Camry. Right. It's you're, like your lease is up. You get a new Camry. It's it's it's, it's the Toyota Camry. As I thought about this earlier today. Is like the best way I can think about the iPhone eight. It does everything really really well. It has all the latest safety technologies. It is uh, re- super reliable. You're not going to have any problems with it. And it's also maybe the most boring thing on the road. What part of the camera do you think maps to having giant bezels? Is it is it the super s- aggressive headlights or the, the I would weird say, pokey rear taillights? 
Oh, the lights in the Camry are offensive. It's, the, yeah. it's that pillar between the doors. You know, like the iPhone X has the suicide doors. No <laughs> oh, door. there you go. Yeah, so so the iPhone X has no B pillar. There yeah. we go. It's the, the B pillar in there. The iPhone 8 is an excellent phone. Yeah. Obviously one of the best phones on the market. And it's also extremely boring. Like And kind of expensive. And kind of expensive. Camry's not expensive, but like... Yeah. You if have, you got if you got the Lexus version of the Camry, what do they call the that? E300. E300. There you go. It's. it's a Lexus E300. ES300. 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 The yes. carnards are coming for you. <laughs> yeah. do, do you see them justifying this $50 price bump? Yeah, cuz they 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 bumped the storage. I think it's such a lame bump though. Like they should have yeah. bumped the storage oh, on, on as, the 256 they didn't bump the storage. Yeah. And 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 it, they should have bumped the storage I think as they, part of the new refresh. They should have like, dropped it $50. It's like, "Oh, here's our boring phone." Yeah. So then, so, so then the here's, boring phone will cost less money. So I want to like come back. Costco. <laughs> yeah, you know, like the, this is the Kirkland. Of you just the buy iPhones. fifty iPhones <laughs> and drive like fifty. It, but it's with, but with like no Costco. It's one. It's like the iPhone box has been scaled up too, like the cereal boxes at Costco. You just open it. There's ninety iPhones. In it. Um, I want to talk about cameras, but I, I just on this point of pricing boringness, the reports out from the analysts. Take them or leave them, but they're saying iPhone 8 demand is pretty flat. Everyone's waiting for the iPhone I mean, 10. Well, you think about this, they're all based off of pre orders. We're recording this, and the iPhone 8 isn't even in stores yet. Yeah. It's, it comes out tomorrow. I have one now. Um, have yes, you have two. Aren't you cool? Uh, but like they're basing <laughs> all of this data off of pre orders. Who is the customer that pre orders a phone at midnight? Pacific time Traditionally, the day all of them. Yeah, this no, is not all of them. Thing. Not all of when, the customers. When was the, the last cu- time no, 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 no. You, you, let me finish. Sold out. Okay. The customer that does that is the customer that's going to want to wait oh, for the right. iPhone 10. Yes, yes. The customer that right. does that is the enthusiast. They're the I one see. that care. They're the one that know the difference between the 8 and the 10. Of course the 8's demand is going to be I know work. a lot of people the who don't even demand know the 8 exists. The 8 isn't going to peak until January when you like you know get to the average customer that's waltzing into their Walmart and Best Buy and, and Verizon store or whatever. And they're like, oh, my iPhone broke. I need a new phone. And what is the one that they have in stock? It's the iPhone 8. Uh, what That's I want the, the listener to know is that when Dan was saying that, he was doing a jaunty walking motion <laughs> was, with his uh, arms. <laughs> deedly, deedly. Listen, I like to provide visuals. Uh, <laughs> But like, you know, that's when the iPhone 8 demand is going to reach its highest or, or, or when its sales are going to do the best or when it's like in the stores and just the yeah. average person is buying it because they're not caring about the latest and greatest. Maybe they don't want to spend a thousand bucks on a phone. They so don't want to think about it. I mean, that's the question, right? Has Apple successfully segmented their line where only enthusiasts are going to want the 10, the sort of regular person buys an 8 and is happy and they're not, you know what I mean? Like, I, I that's fear, a big move. They haven't been able to pull that off before. I don't, they tried I don't with the 5C. Fear, but, like, it, it's interesting that they're doing that now at a, t- at a year when the lineup is more crowded than ever before. The 6S is still available. Yeah. The 7 is still available. So I know you why can the 6S the, is available. Yes, you can share that in a second. Yeah. Uh, the 8 is available, and then you got the 10, and you still have the SE available as well. I mean, like, you walk into an Apple store, and there's six iPhones staring at you. Um, at base on almost every price point that you can think of. Well, so, so the, the cheaper ones are there for emerging markets. Mm-hmm. So we said this actually. I think we said this on the show last week. Um, the editor of Gadgets 360, Kanal told me that the success is by far the best selling iPhone in, in India. So, but I mean, the, the, but, I don't doubt that at all, and it makes sense there. But like, it's also still available here in the U.S. So like, yeah. you'll still be able to go to an Apple store and buy success or order a success from Apple.com, which by the way has a headphone jack. 
and 16 gigs of storage. Hey, <laughs> three songs listened to the most conveniently way possible. I feel like right now someone put a bullet through my iPhone 7 and it was just totally dead. I mean, I'm looking at your iPhone 7 now and it's halfway there. But Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's halfway great. there, but it's not actually dead yet. I think I'd just get another iPhone 7. So uh, Jeff Fowler reviewed them for the Wall Street Journal, and that was basically his advice. He's like, just buy a 7. Don't spend the money to buy an 8. If you're the sort of person who doesn't want a 10, don't just you yeah. don't need to step down right. 1. Right. So you can it actually does, save more money. It does put that the, the 8 in that really weird spot because the, the, the lineup is so crowded this year, and there's so many different options available. Yeah. So and like if there wasn't the other ones available and it was just the 8 and the 10, I think that makes like like the 8 would be – you know, super popular. Of course, you know, that said, the 8 is the one that's going to get a lot of the marketing push, so. Yeah, they, Apple told me that they're going to go hard marketing the 8 and the 10 simultaneously, which I think is fascinating. Like, that's, if they start calling it the 10 in the ads, and there's, like, they're just going to run into that. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of in a position where, like, my mom is due for a new iPhone this fall, and, like, she's coming from a 5C, so she's, like, literally anything in the store will be an upgrade for her. <laughs> and I'm, like... I don't do I, She doesn't need an eight. She doesn't care. Like, yeah. heck, she'd be happy with the success. <laughs> so, well, like, she keeps like it do that I get long. her a success? Like, no, I, if she's got the 5C, I think if you, if you are the sort of person who keeps a phone that long, you should actually buy a more expensive phone. Yeah. I mean, there's that reasoning. I get it. Um, at the same time, like, basically, with most iPhones, at least, you can guarantee that, or you can, don't have to worry about getting software updates because they're going to get delivered to it for yeah. a longer time. But I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Okay, so now we got to talk about it. So Paul's sitting there with the essential phone. Mm-hmm. That has an edge-to-edge LCD mm-hmm. with a big, silly notch at the top. It's not a big, silly notch. It's just a little cute little I, notch. I, w- I would say it's a completely forgettable notch, which is also what I feel like. That's yeah, true. You can barely see it. But it's still, it's still got... It's like a little hole punch. <laughs> it's got a notch. That's my, my only point is got a notch, sure. and then you can decide how adorable that notch is or is not right. on your own time. Right. <laughs> home by yourself. You can make that off the clock. <laughs> off the clock. Adorable rating. Okay, but I'm here to work. Yeah. Let's talk about notches. <laughs> so Apple could have done an edge edge LCD. There have been other edge edge LCD phones. They didn't yes. do it. They kept the design the same. Obviously, the 10 has an edge edge OLED with, I think, a much less adorable notch. Mm-hmm. But, but the difference with the the 10s edge to edge, and you can see it on the essential phone, is there's no bottom bezel, right? Because they've got to do the electronics for the backlight, I believe. Right, right? exactly for the LCDs. Yeah. So, but also my question this, also there is serious light leak at the top of the essential phone. Yeah, I've noticed that too. Um, but my question is, can you price a phone like the iPhone 8 against its nearest competitor, which is actually the Galaxy S8, in terms of price? It's like no contest. The S8 is a better piece of hardware, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, like you look at the two and one looks like the same thing you've been looking at for four years and one looks like the future. Yeah. And like if that matters to you, it's a pretty obvious obvious call that the S8 is a more appealing looking phone. I mean, it gives you – I mean, you said this in the review. The 5.8-inch Galaxy S8, which is this, quote, smaller one, has a way bigger screen than the iPhone 8 and is not that much physically bigger. It's got – Glass on both sides. It's got the sloping curve design. It's got, you know, those tiny little bezels. Uh, you know, they, it, all of these things are things that, like, make the S8 visually more appealing than an iPhone 8, which is an iPhone 7, which is an iPhone 6S, which is an <laughs> iPhone 6. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's like, 
And especially if they're at the same price point, it's it's an interesting thing where like you can go into a carrier store and say like I'm going to spend six hundred and fifty dollars on a new phone or seven hundred dollars on a new phone, and there's the iPhone eight staring at you, and then there's an S eight staring at you next to it, and like the visually the more appealing one is the Samsung. Like, <laughs> like that's a world we live in. And that's like very strange yeah. uh, to say that. But I mean, I, 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 virtually anyone that picks up the, an S8 is like, wow, this is really nice and feels really nice. It handles really nicely. And, and no like camera that. bump. No camera bump. Just a thing I'll point out. Terrible uh, fingerprint scanner. Terrible me. fingerprint scanner. No camera bump. And miserable eye recognition. Right? <laughs> like it just doesn't work. Um, Actually, I do want to talk about cameras. I've been threatening to talk about cameras. So you and I disagree here. I think mm-hmm. that the iPhone 8 and the Pixel, they're very different. The Pixel is like a very accurate camera. It produces pretty good flat images. The iPhone 8 produces extraordinarily pleasing images. Some of the processing that Apple is doing is wonky. It's like they split the difference between where they were in Samsung and kind of landed in the water sometimes. But on the on the whole, they like... They're doing a good job. They're saturating the images more. Mm-hmm. I think portrait lighting is their way of doing some of the crazy face smoothing that Samsung does automatically because it definitely smooths your face mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, Especially in selfies. But you think the S8 takes better photos. Yeah, I, I think that they – it really depends on the situation. And in certain circumstances, the S8 will take a better photo. In certain circumstances, maybe the iPhone 8 will t- take a better photo. I don't think that you can definitively say one is – obviously better than the other yeah and and in like the the thing that with samsung photos is um you are most likely viewing them on your samsung phone which already has a very vibrant punchy display so it makes that appearance that they're like oversaturated and over sharpened even a little more aggressive so if you move them over to your computer or look at them on a different device you'll notice that they're like way scaled back from what you were seeing on your phone. So that kind of like actually works against Samsung's favor when you're using them because you're like, oh my God, that's so saturated. But the I think that like Samsung does a really awesome job when you're taking a portrait of somebody of metering for the correct thing that you're taking of. Like it knows you're taking a picture of a person. It meters for their face and not the background. And in all the comparisons I've done side by side in those situations, which are mostly just taking pictures of my kids, mm-hmm. The Samsung one is the image that I prefer because it metered for the subject I was taking a picture of and not the background or just getting an average of the whole frame like the iPhone tended to do. So that meant that like maybe it was a little bit brighter and maybe maybe the colors were a little more saturated. But I mean, I, I'm not when I'm taking photos of my kids, I'm not like they're like documenting to preserve the uh, exact situation. I'm there to like capture a memory and like look back on it and be happy with it and be pleasing. And like, when I look at the image, I want the image that like looks better. Like even if it's not technically, you know, clinically accurate. Right. Um, and I think that most people would say that about their smartphone photos. They're not photographers. They're not scientists. They're just want to take photos that they're happy with. And I think this is the split the difference moment for Apple because they, they know that they see that. I think there's a lot of, you know, there's like DSO, DXO mark and display Mm -hmm. made out there. Those companies basically get paid mm-hmm. by other companies to like consult on their cameras and, and then, then give them very high the cameras, scores. Yeah. It's a great racket, by the way. I wish somebody <laughs> would pay me to consult on their thing and then be like, it's great. Um, uh, but, you know, like they're, they're the only benchmarks that exist, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and Apple is getting crushed in those benchmarks. And I think they see 
people look at Samsung photos and Samsung screens, and they're like, colors are bright and vibrant, and they made a little bit of a move to get there. But I think that move, like, let because they don't want to, it's like you can sense their lack of enthusiasm for that move in some of these photos. Mm -hmm. But what they always say is we aim for realism. We want it to be true to life. You can filter it to hell and back if you want after we're done, but we're going to start with real. Mm -hmm. And, like, I don't know, I just... Samsung photos to me just look crazy sometimes yeah. in a way that like the Pixel tends to look very accurate and flat and the iPhone tends I think they've again they split the difference like they've done kind of like a half-hearted job of already filtering the photo for you which looks better than before. Yeah. I don't think the difference between the 7 and 8 is huge at all. Mm -hmm. It's like literally like they tweaked a couple sliders. Also you can tell the Pixels are way deeper. <laughs> <laughs> the, the depth of the pixels is just yeah I, so deep. I, I, we're gonna do like a huge camera shootout where I think we're gonna talk about the Pixel Two is like leaked. Yeah, we'll probably wait for the Pixel Two to come out to do that. But like, I mean, I guarantee you, what's gonna happen at the end of that, and like, this is based on years of jaded experience. You're gonna have a hard time telling these things apart. They've gotten to the point where, and it's a wonderful point to be, where the cameras and all of them are so good. The processing behind them is so good. The autofocus is so fast that, like, it's not uh, – the differences between them are not great if you're playing at that premium level. If you are looking at phones that are less expensive and cheaper, then, yeah, you know, the first thing you give up is that image quality and the camera quality. But if you're playing in the premium field, you're going to get a really killer camera on there. And you really have to, like, like pixel peep. And compare side by side to notice the difference, which is great, which means that, like, you don't have to buy a phone based on its camera. Like, you can think about other things that you want. Like, do you want a screen that's edge to edge? And do you want waterproofing, which is also becoming a thing that, like, most all premium phones have? Uh, so, so I think that's a great thing. But, like, when you compare them head to head and you get, like, really into the nerdy, like, battles of it, like, the reality is the difference isn't that great between them. Unless you buy an essential phone. Which Unless you buy an essential not phone. Not waterproof. <laughs> which is not waterproof and also has a bad camera. <laughs> But, like, it's adorable notch. I but, like, say. you know, that was our biggest criticism. This is a $700 phone that's playing in the field of premium phones and doesn't have a premium camera. So, like, it's a non-starter. Those are table stakes. Yeah. Okay. So that's the iPhone 8. Is there anything else to say about the iPhone 8? Uh, wait for the iPhone 10. That's basically it. It's coming. All the things that, like, the, I will say this. All the things that make the S8 appealing against the iPhone 8 are negated by the iPhone 10. Like, if you do that same comparison with the S8 versus the iPhone 10, the iPhone 10 looks more appealing yeah. because it, like, has all those features. And a big notch at the top. By the way, I don't I, think the notch so is a big I'm, deal. I'm I don't on, think it's going to be a problem I'm 100% at all. on team embrace the notch, I've decided. I'm Only on team forget about the notch because it's, it's November 4th, it comes out November 3rd, right? November 4th, nobody's going to be thinking about the notch. They're going to have forgotten Are about it. Are you crazy? They're going to have forgotten about it. They're going to they're gonna be using it, and they're going to forget about it. Just like the Essential. No, we no, were no, like, when this phone was announced, we were like, nuts. oh, the notch is going to be a really annoying thing, and it's going to be obtrusive, and it's going to get in the way. And then you use the phone for five minutes, and you're like, oh, no. I forgot about it. Okay, you're crazy for two reasons. Here, here are both of those reasons. One, five people have the Essential phone. So no one even knows what they're saying. We can't find them. If you have one, Paul's one of them. Yeah, Paul's here. He thinks it's adorable. This is uh, a loner to be. Please honest, come to my website, adorablenotchornot.com, and let us know what you think. Uh, only five people can visit it. Hotternotch.com. <laughs> that's rough. Uh, 
<laughs> but the Apple design community, ex-Apple employees on Twitter, they're all freaking out about And they're all basing it off of screenshots and pictures and yeah. like mock-ups. They're not using the phone in real life yet. And so that's what my point is, that but once you chance, use it in real life, you're going to forget about the it. The chance of the people who are all fired up about it getting it in their hand. Oh, I mean, like, they're never going to admit they're wrong, but like, I'm just saying the average person's not going to give the a The number of, of like long philosophical Apple blog blog posts <laughs> about what the notch when they get, it's going to be, I'm so looking forward to it, but here's why I'm on team embrace. I think Apple has made a bunch of bad decisions about what iOS 11 should look like on the 10 because I don't know if they know this, but it's an OLED screen and that just most of the background should be black Yeah, and all of their backgrounds are white. Yeah. And I don't, it's very confusing. Like you, it actually uses more power to I, do that in OLED. I screen. mean, I hear you, but like, if you look at Samsung's default interface, it's all white. Yeah. Cause they're copying Apple. Like just Apple, yeah, Apple like... can just like go the other way now. Um, <laughs> so I think app developers are going to solve the notch problem incredibly fast by just blacking out those two years. Yeah. I, honestly, I, I agree that I think that should have been Apple's solution is like black out those two year, years, leave them as like the ability to permanently see the time, your battery life and your signals and whatever other indicators yeah. are up there. Uh, and, and then just use from the notch below as content. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. It's coming. So that's the eight. Basically, wait for the 10 is what we're saying. <laughs> uh, I'm going to read a quick ad and then Lauren Good's going to join us. We're going to talk about the Apple TV and the watch, which is Lauren caused quite a stir this week about the watch. But let me read this ad real quick. Attention, there's been a last-minute change to the advertising. Paul is excited to read the MeUndies ad. There's an important time in every podcast's life where they get sponsored by MeUndies. <laughs> and today is our day. Take it away, buddy. It. You want to look good in your underwear and be comfortable, right? But that perfect balance is hard to find. Don't sacrifice style or comfort. Check out MeUndies.com and find the best pair of underwear in the world. I'm sold. MeUndies will be the most comfortable pair of underwear you will own, made from a sustainably sourced, naturally soft fabric that is three times softer than cotton. Ultimate feel-good undies for when you want to feel naked but not be naked. Why are you so angry about the underwear? I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> MeUndies has recognized this as a valid podcast for selling underwear. It's like you sound like a general delivering orders. It's like a uh, keep going. It's like a downfall over. <laughs> Should I read all the bullet points? Yes, all of the bullet points, please. Hundred percent satisfaction guarantee. They guarantee you will love your undies or your money back. Okay, so right now MeUndies has an exclusive offer. Just for our listeners, never, ever heard before on any podcast, get 20% off your first pair and free shipping. This is a no-brainer to try. 20% off, free shipping, and 100% satisfaction guarantee. What are you waiting for? To get 20% off, free shipping, and 100% satisfaction guarantee, and get the best and softest underwear you will ever own, Go to MeUndies.com slash Verge. That's MeUndies.com slash Verge. This is a limited time offer. Who knows if MeUndies will ever sponsor us again. <laughs> I think I know. So what are you waiting for? Start wearing the best underwear of your life. It changed my life. Hmm. 
I guess reading this ad has changed my life. It's time to let MeUndies change yours. Go to MeUndies.com slash Verge right now. Hey, Lauren Good is here. Lauren. Hello. How you doing? I'm doing okay. I just wanted to remark that it's 2.12 in the afternoon Pacific time, and my watch has hit 10% battery life. <laughs> Are you? But I or... did use, I used LTE quite a bit this morning. Tried to. Sometimes it worked. I called Neil I from it this morning. It, did. So. it sounded great, actually. I was very suspicious <laughs> of the demo on stage because, you know, they had the woman on the paddleboard. Yeah. And she was waving her arm, and I was like, this audio sounds very Way compressed. Too good. <laughs> uh, but Lauren called me for a watch today. It sounded great. Lauren, like, were you impressive. using the yeah. AirPods when you called? Uh, I was not. Oh, no, cool. I was just speaking to the yeah. watch. Sounded really good. So, Lauren, I want to talk about Apple TV lights, but I feel like we have to just get into it with Lauren. You caused quite a stir this week, uh, along with our friend Joanna Stern at the Journal. Both of you published your Apple Watch Series 3 with LTE reviews, and both of you basically said, I can't recommend it. It doesn't work. Uh, and then Apple sent hit squads after both of you. You've escaped. You're currently in an undisclosed location. But walk us through. Calling us from a surfboard. And yeah, Exactly. Lauren's just paddling in the middle of the ocean <laughs> under the waves. Um, but it's funny you said it's 212 in my watch. At 100%. Like your review is like meticulously detailed with timestamps, basically, of experiences you had with the watch. Walk us through what happened with it for you and like where your thoughts are now. Sure. So I actually ended up with two review units because the first one proved problematic in other ways. Uh, when I first got the loaner unit from Apple of Series 3 with LTE, um, I also got a new iPhone 8 that was um, ha- was connected via AT&T. So the, both the watch and the phone were on AT&T, just to make that clear. Some people were upset that I didn't mention that in the video. Within the first full day of using the Apple Watch Series 3 with LTE, I noticed I was having both um, issues making cellular calls happen. And with Siri specifically, Siri was really the first problem I had. One of the new features of the watch is that Siri is supposed to audibly talk back to you from the watch when you're using it. And that wasn't happening. And then when I was using Siri to try to initiate phone calls and text messages, because let's be honest, it's a really tiny little display. And so tapping through it can be annoying. And so I was trying to use Siri as much as possible. Um, Siri just kept getting stuck and wasn't just didn't seem to be able to connect. Um, I think that the latter issue is was also related to the problems I was having just with Wi-Fi to LTE connectivity. Um, But the first issue of Siri not responding was like definitely a, a problem. So Apple gave me a second review unit a couple of days after I received the first one. And that one, I was able to get audible responses from Siri, but I still had the issues where I would leave my desk or walk away from my apartment. Um, I would either leave my phone behind or I would have my phone turned off or have it on airplane mode. And I would expect to get cellular service. And instead of getting cellular service and seeing the three or four green bars or whatever you're supposed to see to indicate LTE service, the watch would appear to want to connect to some type of Wi-Fi network nearby and then just kind of get stuck on that. And there's no manual way to turn off Wi-Fi on the watch. So I had no option. I had no way to really tell the watch, okay, don't connect to Wi-Fi, default to cellular because I'm away from my phone. There's just no way to do that. But really, at the end of the day, you shouldn't have to do that. Yeah. The watch should just work, and it's not working the way it should. I think that's the major point here, right? Like, Apple released a statement to you about unauthenticated Wi-Fi networks 
Then there was a lot mm-hmm. of like Apple blogging follow up about captive yeah, portal like, networks. Captive portals. Mm-hmm. Um, the captive portal thing, by the way, never have I experienced the words captive portal hurled as an insult the way <laughs> Twitter reacted to this yesterday. Uh, you just don't understand captive portals. And it's like, no, I've been in hotels before. <laughs> um, but the, 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 and then Apple, you know, they said to us, one of the fixes is that you could go on your Mac and you could open your Wi-Fi settings on your Mac, not on a phone, and delete all the networks, and that would sync over to iCloud and you wouldn't connect to captive portals anymore, which is insane, just from the jump, for many reasons. One, uh, you shouldn't have to do that. That's one. Two, a lot of people with iPhones and Apple Watches don't have Macs, right? So, like, you can't. So that's just broken for those people. And three, Lauren, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think that describes all of your problems, like at all, right? No, there were definitely um, there were definitely spots where I was walking or just basically basically walking. Uh, I'm like trying, like I I wasn't really running that hard. Um, where I knew myself that I I didn't think that I had ever connected to that Wi-Fi network before, whatever it was. So whether it was walking through an apartment complex that is not my own, that is blocks from my own apartment complex. And and me thinking, yeah, I've never, I've never signed into Wi-Fi here before. I don't think there's a captive portal network here. And yet the watch would sort of get stung on, excuse me. And then, and yet the watch would sort of get hung on, um, on Wi-Fi. It happened at a shopping mall where I don't think that I've ever logged into Wi-Fi before. Um, it's happened near the office here, you know, like just, just far away enough from the office where I'm thinking, yeah, I don't think I've ever, I've ever logged into any type of Wi-Fi network here before. Um, so it's really unusual, but then there were times, I mean, I should mention as well, like there are times that it worked. Like I called Neil I from a coffee shop, uh, or a bagel shop this morning. And, um, I've never logged into that bagel shop before on Wi-Fi and, and for whatever reason, the call worked. Um, so it's just like, it was just a very inconsistent experience. I also discovered, uh, which is not, I guess this is the way AT&T works. I also discovered that if the phone was turned off or in airplane mode, I couldn't send a text message to Dieter, who's on Android, um, through the watch. So there are like these weird little things um, that the watch is doing in terms of its prioritizations and its handoff between connectivity. They're just like, frankly, I just don't think it should it should work this way. And we're you know, we're pretty, we're pretty nerdy. We really try to troubleshoot when we review, we really get into this stuff. And I think a lot of our audience does too, but I think about um, people who maybe don't want to spend the time trying to troubleshoot their wristwatches and like this should just shouldn't be happening this way. Yeah. And I think that's the main point. There was so much yesterday about what's wrong and like, do there, is it actually broken or is this like a bug that you can fix? And it's like, it's an expensive device with a promise capability and you uh, probably shouldn't have to understand how that's gonna work in order to use it. You should; it should just work, which is like a very classic Apple thing. I, it feels like the the bar has moved for Apple in terms of like it just works. It used to be it's gonna make a whole bunch of decisions for you that you may or may not like, but it will work as it's promised to work. And if you hate those decisions, you should like get a Windows PC or something. This one just feels like it made a whole bunch of decisions, and there's there's still not the right ones. Well, and also they haven't, they don't have music yet. Yeah, like I I, I'm I'm glad that you did all this work to test the connectivity to talk to Siri 
to make phone calls, but I'm never going to make a phone call. The whole reason I'd get LTE on a watch would be for streaming music. Yeah. Is there a timeline on that, Lauren? I, we believe it's coming next month. I think Apple has said it's coming next month, but we don't know for sure. And um, also, it's just it's just kind of a it's not ready thing. I mean, it's a, it, it's hard to get a straight answer as to why this this isn't launching at the time the watch is launching. I'm curious to know, and and I guess we'll find out whenever Apple issues its bug fix for this Wi-Fi issue. I, I'm very curious to see if that resolves all of the connectivity issues because when I look at the Apple Watch and and uh, Lauren, we we talked about this through while we were doing edits on your review. Is like the one difference between the LTE Apple Watch and other LTE smartwatches is where the antenna is, and other LTE smartwatches have put it in the the band, which carries a lot of problems. It's uncomfortable. It's stiff. You can't change it. It's very obvious why Apple didn't do that. But the LTE signal works and is reliable. And then Apple made a big deal on stage about how they're using the screen as the antenna uh, for this the, this uh, connectivity. And I'm curious if that has something to do with it. Maybe that's not as reliable as other methods. Apple's never been great at wireless radios, especially in its mobile devices. The iPhone's wireless radio is not nearly as strong as other uh Phones, so I'm I'm just curious as to how much this is going to be a design and hardware issue versus a software issue, and I guess we'll just have to find out and wait when they issue bug fixes. Yeah, I... the only explanation we've heard so far is that it's a software thing, but we may hear more in the coming days. And a bunch of other reviewers didn't have any problems, to be fair, mm-hmm. but I suspect that those people never left their houses. So <laughs> 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 I'm gonna say now. Uh, yeah, you know, for, for all, you know, to be fair, uh, I believe Nicole at BuzzFeed yep. swam out to Alcatraz and, yeah. and, and it worked for her. I don't know why it didn't mm-hmm. work for Lauren on a surfboard much closer to shore, but it didn't. Because and there's a captive The only thing we can do, and there the only is thing a Lauren, shark waiting for you to <laughs> log into his webpage uh, authentication system. It's flipper five. The, the, <laughs> the weirdest thing about the... Um, the, the most interesting thing about the surfing example, which we showed in the video, and, and I should just give a quick shout out to our video producers who we started shooting the B-roll for this video, you know, throughout the week, all week. And and um, and then we had to make all of these last minute adjustments and changes because of the issues. Um, but when we tested it on the surfboard, that was one of those instances where it either showed disconnected with a red X at the top of the watch or it showed one bar of cellular of, of LTE and you can see it's like it's green, right? So it's either if it's connected to Wi-Fi, it's a blue Wi-Fi signal. If it's disconnected, it says disconnected in red letters. And then if there's LTE, it shows in green. So it was like vacillating between disconnected or one bar. And so I was able to make a phone call to Viren Pavic very briefly from my wrist while on a surfboard. But um but what's interesting is that I took a full fledged phone call from my phone on the beach. Um, like feet away, and that was that was fine. Yeah. So it could have been the distance between being out in the water versus the shore that made all the difference, um, or it could have just been that the watch was pulling down a weaker signal. So here, I think, is the ultimate question with the watch, right? But presumably, they'll fix the software. Apple's good at that historically, and they'll ship it and it'll work. And if it's not some weird antenna problem, it'll be fine. But why are they rushing this out? Like, what is the they have no competition in this space, like none as far as I can see. Yeah, they, they could just ship it in December and be fine. Yeah, as long as they get it out in time for people to, buy, you know, I don't know, stick it in a stocking. Do you step, put like a $400 watch in a stocking? <laughs> as long as they, <laughs> if you're, if you're Michael Scott, for yeah. that moment, right? Like 
the Black Friday watch sale will be the older generation. It's not, you know, like as, as long as they get the new one out in time for that holiday shopping period, it's it's fine. As far as I can tell, it's just fine. I mean, it's why rush it out? It's, it's a great question because from based on reporting, I believe from Bloomberg and others, this is already delayed a year. Like they wanted to put the LTE watch out last year and they couldn't do it because the uh, components weren't miniaturized enough, or maybe they were working on the screen antenna or they something like there that. There was like a 56k US <laughs> robotics modem sitting next to the watch. But so, like, it's already you know based on reports later than Apple had anticipated or wanted to push it out. And so, why why rush it out? Now is a great question, Lauren. Do you feel like it's buggy in any way, except for because it's got WatchOS four too, right? It's like is that polished or is it just the connectivity? Like, what, what's the split there? I really like WatchOS four. Uh, I gave that two thumbs up in my review and didn't really have anything negative to say about watchOS 4. I did discover today that the heart rate tracking features of watchOS 4 won't work on the very first Apple Watch, the OG, which launched in 2015. It will only work on the Series 1, 2, and 3. The Series 1 came out the same time as the Series 2 because they essentially like renamed this the original one, Series 1, and gave it a new processor. Anyway, you have the very first Apple Watch you won't get all of the features of watchOS 4. But I liked watchOS 4. I would say my three biggest issues with the watch were the fact that the first unit I had didn't have a working Siri, so that marred the experience. The second was the the, the handoff issues, the connectivity issues. And then the third was uh, was battery life and just how badly battery life was impacted by LTE. Yeah. So, Lauren, I have a question for you. Um, had the yeah. connectivity been working as advertised, do you think that it's worth the cost of admission because we're talking about a more expensive watch and we're talking about a monthly service fee. That is when you get into the more subjective aspects of a review because that's when you start to weigh the costs and benefits of something that actually works. And so that value proposition is going to be different for different people. For me, I personally would not, even if it had been perfect working connectivity and I had those few magic moments of LTE working when I like absolutely needed it, I just still don't think I would pay $400 up front plus the $10 per month on top of my monthly sell bill to have the, that, um, those rare conveniences because I happen to have my phone on me a lot. But I have heard a lot of other people say leading up to the event and since the event uh, when Apple first announced this, that they were really excited about the possibility for this. What do you guys think? Would you, would you, get, would you pay extra for a smartwatch with LTE? Uh, I would not. And, and I think that it comes down to... Um, the smartwatch as it stands now, and including the Apple Watch Series 3, is still an accessory to the phone. And like I've worn, just like you, Lauren, you know, we've we've both been reviewing these things for ever. Uh, and like I've worn every single smartwatch that's ever come out. And you know, there's this notion or this ideal that people have that they think they're gonna use their phone less or look at their phone less because they have a smartwatch. And the reality is that the smartwatch, it maybe it gives them notifications on their wrists or whatever, but you're still pulling your phone out of your pocket to do anything because like doing anything on the smartwatch is still a chore and still frustrating. So like there's very few instances I can think of and none of which actually fit into my own personal life, but that where a connected smartwatch is actually going to be useful to me. And they're like, you go for, you're, you're a runner or you go to work out at the gym. Uh, if anybody's seen me, you, you know that I don't do those things. Um, 
then it then yeah that's awesome because you don't want to bring a phone with you and you still want to be able to like send get there uh get a phone call or text message if you need it but you're only gone for like an hour or two or whatever or if you like you know run out to the corner store to get something and you forget your phone at home while you're covered by your watch or whatever but like those are like pretty niche scenarios and uh you know i personally for me that's certainly not worth paying extra money for um and i don't think we're at the point where like the watch is like an independent enough device to where you can actually justify its cost of a monthly service plan. That that's me. Like yeah. you said, you know, other especially people not for the same price but. as an iPad service plan. Right? Yeah, like if, exactly. There's so much more. Like I'm I'm one of those people that actually pays extra to connect my iPad to the network because I always want connectivity with my net to the network on my iPad. But like I could do a lot of stuff on my iPad <laughs> <laughs> that I can't do on a watch for obvious yeah. reasons. If this was two dollars a month, I'd be like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Right? But ten is like what? What? And like, if you and if you like money, I'm and, and they're you. they're doing the promotion now, so they're like you know first three months are free and the wager activation fees. What if you get this in February of next no, year? And here's you pay what I don't understand. Wait, no, here's what I don't understand about the first three months are free. That implies that at the end of that three months, you will have you'll be like addicted to it. Yeah, you're like I can't live without this. I think a lot of people are gonna be like I can super live without this because <laughs> guess what? I still have my phone with me all the time. <laughs> phone. Yeah, Paul. What about you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I can save ten dollars a month and get longer battery life. <laughs> I, I I'm still not really a smartwatch person. Yeah, I, just, I find no utility. I want uh, to. One thing, uh, and maybe Lauren, uh, you can and uh, opine on this as well. I don't think the Series Three Apple Watch changes the equation for either of you, or for someone who's like not a smartwatch person. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't make the smartwatch more appealing if you already are like not have decided that like that's not for you i don't mean yeah i would agree with that i think we've seen dan you've reviewed a lot of lte smartwatches before yeah well not a lot there are only so many out there (laughs) but the samsung version and the lg version and i think um of course you can make a whole argument about uh, operating systems and what ecosystem you're getting tied into but i think if you're the kind of person who heard about those watches and you weren't super excited by that idea or thinking like, oh yeah, that's something I should consider now, then I don't see how this makes, I don't see how this makes that happen either. Yeah. I, but in, they've been focusing it on health and fitness over time. Like I cannot think of another watch app that exists that I want, right? Like notifications, fitness tracking. It's what we all suspected when the watch came out would be it's like killer apps they still are, right? And now you have a little bit of like run while streaming music. I like to check the time. It don't work. <laughs> really? <laughs> Mostly what I do with a watch on my do wrist. Do you look is at check your watch time. to check the time? I, I've, I've been a person that's been wearing a watch on my is wrist that a since I was like eight that's years right old. Watch. Uh, I'm wearing a smartwatch today. What is it? Uh, this is a Galaxy, or it's a Samsung Gear S2. That looks nice. A couple years ago. Thank you. No flat tire. No, no notch. That one does have an LTE option, right? Uh, it does. Uh, this is this one does not have that LTE option because I. I just don't find value in that. But like, uh, if I'm not wearing a smartwatch, I'm wearing an analog watch because that's like, I feel comfortable with it on my wrist because I've been wearing them forever and that's how I check the time and, and especially how I check the date. I get really mad if I'm wearing a watch. It doesn't tell me the mm. date. Lauren, do you look at your wrist to look for the time? Yeah, I do now, actually. I'm going to make a statement. I hope this isn't a huge generalization, but it kind of is. Um, oftentimes, you guys are wearing pants that have pockets. And so your phone goes in your pocket throughout the day. So even if you step away from your desk to like grab a coffee or go to the restroom or whatever you're doing, your phone is always with you. There are times when I don't wear clothing with pockets. And so then I step away from my desk and I actually don't have my phone on me. I mean, it's still within range. It's like 10 feet away, 
But then if I need to check the time, I look at my wrist. Well, Lauren, I so, think yeah, the only there's... solution to that problem is to carry a microwave everywhere that you go. <laughs> um, no, this <laughs> is true. Uh, Megan Frickmanish and I were recording uh, a promo for the Mr. Robot show, the after show that we're doing. And I, I just like put my mic pack in my pocket and she went for hers and she was just like, you know what? Women's pockets are not designed to be useful. <laughs> it's okay. like very true. Racked has covered it. It's a whole thing. Here, yeah. Here, this is an interesting. So, I like to listen to audiobooks and podcasts almost all the time when I'm not like working at my computer. So, if I get up to go to the restroom at work, right, I bring my phone with me. I have it in my pocket, my, my man pockets, and I have headphones in. If, if I could get up from my desk, and seamlessly keep listening to what I was listening to and leave everything behind. Yeah. And everything's just like all the audio just starts streaming through my wrist now into my AirPods I that know, I've man. now purchased. And then I got to solve that captive portal product <laughs> problem before that. I mean, like, first it just has to work. But like, I, that, that does sound something to aspire to. Like, that does. doesn't seem like I, we're there and, yet. And that's like one of those ideals that people have about smartwatches that have not really panned out in reality and like i was talking about this with ben popper yesterday and he's like he's like man it'd be awesome if i could just like you know put my phone away and still feel like i'm not completely disconnected and i'm like that's a great ideal like in my experience i have my phone on me more when i'm wearing a smartwatch because i'm using my phone to fidget with the smartwatch or like to <laughs> set up the smartwatch or to yeah. control the notifications of the smartwatch so, like i end up looking at my phone more or i like you know get a notification on my uh, on my wrist and it's like too much of a chore to read it and click the link that's in it or whatever it is and I just pull my phone out anyway. So like, I, I don't think that ideal has borne out in reality. I'm definitely going to start texting you more links. <laughs> uh, so Lauren, right now you can't recommend it because, you know, you, it doesn't work. But assuming it works, I mean, like, that's true. Like Lauren was on CNBC yesterday. Like, can't recommend it. Joanna, her headline in the journal was like, I can't recommend this to you. Assuming they can solve the bugs and there's no timeline for that. So that's a big assumption. Is this a, like a worthwhile upgrade or is this just a you actually, you know, run so much that it's worthwhile to pay the money? Um, so I really don't want to be Debbie Downer on this, but I do want to point out one more thing about that which is um, Apple's battery estimate, battery life estimates for Apple Watch Series 3 with LTE. Um, they're saying it, it can get the same 18-hour battery life as the other watches. That is actually based only on a half hour of working out per day with LTE. Once you start to exceed a half hour of working out in workout mode using LTE, the battery life is actually going to drain more. So m my argument for that is, I mean, I don't often run more than a half hour because I'm not as big of an outdoor runner as I used to be. But a lot of people go on really long outdoor runs and a lot of people go on really long hikes for that matter that last much longer than that. Uh, so the value is and then there's no streaming music right now. So the value proposition even for workout people isn't necessarily there yet. So I would say if you really, really love the idea of LTE and on your wrist and you loved the idea of it even before these reviews came out, then once this is fixed, this might still be worth it to you because you're going to be that person who's like, I already factored into my mind that I'm going to pay $10 a month for this intermittent convenience that I might have. Um, but otherwise I would say just go with the series three without LTE. Yeah. That seems like the move. Okay. I'm going to read one more ad and then we're going to talk about receiver lights and surround sound, which is codex. what everyone came for. Codex. Everyone loves a good codec conversation. <laughs> Do they? <laughs> 
This episode of the Vergecast is brought to you by the Art of Shaving. If you're looking to elevate your grooming routine to a grooming ritual, the Art of Shaving is pleased to announce their brand new bourbon-inspired collection in celebration of the highly anticipated new film Kingsman: The Golden Circle in theaters September 22. Inspired by the Kingsman movie, the new Art of Shaving collection was thoughtfully created to celebrate the best of the modern gentleman. It combines a rich woodsy base with a hint of vanilla. The bourbon amber scent evokes both heritage and tradition. With its blend of botanical ingredients and essential oils, the pre-shave formula is perfectly suited for men with tough beards. The shaving cream is formulated with skin conditioners and essential oils. It helps you hydrate and soften your beard hair for a close and comfortable shave. There are more essential oils and moisturizers in the light and quick-absorbing aftershave balm, which hydrates and refreshes your skin after shaving, leaving it feeling smooth. The Kingsman collection items are available at all Art of Shaving retail locations and online at theartofshaving.com. So go see the new movie, Kingsman, The Golden Circle, in theaters on September 22nd. Our listeners will receive 15% off their first order in free shipping by using promo code VERGE. To get this offer, go online to theartofshaving.com, use the promo code VERGE, V-E-R-G-E, to get 15% off your first order in free shipping. Again, Visit theartofshaving.com, use promo code VERGE for 15% off your first order and free shipping, and be sure to catch Kingsman the Golden Circle in theaters September 22nd. All right, so can I, I'm just going to put this out there. I did not know how many home theater spec nerds were in the world, and I did not know- uh, I'm pretty sure you did. Well, <laughs> no, it's a, number, it's a number far higher than I anticipated, and they all read the thing, the Apple TV review today. So we had the iPhone review- Lauren's watch review, and then I reviewed the Apple TV today, all back to back. You can lo- see them all on theverge.com slash guidebook. Yeah, you can use our offer code, Verge. Just type it in. <laughs> it's theverge.com is our offer code. Find the nearest browser, type it in. You get the Verge for free. Unlimited uh, free content. <laughs> um, so they, Apple gave me the Apple TV. They're excited to give it to me because I've been on this podcast a lot talking about how I want all the lights on my receiver to light up. I want Dolby Vision. I want Dolby Atmos. I just want it all to work. It's very hard to get that all to work. They were really pumped. I met with you know them, their executives, talked to a lot of people, uh, took it home, plugged it in, and basically w- was extraordinarily disappointed. And to explain my disappointment, I had basically no choice but to write 2,300 words about video mode switching, which is not what you want to do with your time in life usually. But we did it. Dieter was editing it. Dan edited it. And I, I basically said to Dieter, this has an audience of one person, which is John Syracuse, who I know complains about this stuff on his podcast, but also is like the person who used to write the 30,000 word OS 10 reviews for Ars Technica. Yeah. So it's like, like a, it's like a snack of a review for him. Yeah. I was, it was a little it's baby. A little nibble. But it's like, <laughs> literally, I thought in my mind that this has an audience of one person. And the thing has exploded today. So there's a lot of AV nerds out there. Here, to me... And I talk to Apple a lot about this. Here's the problem with the Apple TV. Fundamentally, is that Apple didn't make a TV. And the more I think about this, the more it's obvious to me that this is the problem. We really need to get Gene Monster as a guest on this show. No, they don't. They're, they're not in control of the panel, right? The, the physical display of the thing. Well, more importantly, they're not in control of the software that controls the panel. Right. But sure. I mean, like anybody can make the panel, but if, if Apple came out with a TV where they're going to source the panel from LG like they do on the IMAX, sure. they're controlling the software that drives that panel. Yes, yeah, so right. but they're not in control of the panel. Right. The, uh, what I mean the panel, I mean the software. Right. There's a TV connected to your Apple TV, mm-hmm. and they really cannot control that TV. So instead of doing that 
and this is true on the old Apple TV too. Uh, they just put it in the best mode that they think they can find. So on the old Apple TV, it always runs at 1080p, 60 hertz. So you can think of it as a 60 frames per second refresh, right? And everyone has complained about that for years because movies are shot at 24 frames per second. So to display them on a 60 hertz TV, you have to like interpolate frames, you have to do all this stuff. If you're a huge nerd, it looks bad. I think you have to be a massive snob to like care about that. Like it's not, it would be I, nice if they switch modes, but 99% of people can't really see it. I can spot uh, any TV anywhere. <laughs> I don't even need right, a B, I don't even need a A B test. <laughs> Just show me a TV, I'll tell you. What hurts it's in? Yeah. All right. Uh <laughs> this is so wonky. The, the the TV at the San Francisco office that we watched. The- oh, it's like motion smoothing. Yeah. It's not doing that. Yeah, that's it's different. not do- that's way different. I can spot motion smoothing a mile away okay, too. Okay. okay. And it looks like garbage. <laughs> uh, <laughs> God. So on the old Apple TV they run everything at sixty hertz. And people complain about it because they want to run it at 24 hertz, but whatever. On the new one, 4K HDR, they run the TV at 4K HDR all of the time. And they won't switch back to SDR, the normal dynamic range. That means everything on the TV gets converted into HDR, and their conversion is bad. I, like, it's not good. So when we went and watched The Dark Knight or other movies on HBO Go or other movies from other services or other shows or whatever, they were getting pumped up to HDR even though they're not HDR content. And so it just looked bad. iTunes, and I think this is like some Apple bubble, I, t- I was like, this looks bad. They're like, well, did you watch The Dark Knight on iTunes? Because we remastered it. <laughs> of oh. course they did. Oh, sure. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so like, okay, so I went and watched it on iTunes. It looks great on iTunes. Apple actually has the best encoding ever for iTunes because they go to the studios and they only have one device and they master it for their one single device and that's the end of that. And it looks great. Which, to be honest... Is choice. That's they, they, awesome. And that pushes further your theory that they should just make they a TV. They should just make the which TV. Which literally, until this very moment, after, after... I mean, I worked in Gadget. Yeah. I've been in Gadget News for 12 years yeah. and since... All of that time, Gene Munster has been writing review, <laughs> like rumors that Apple will come out with a TV. Never thought it was a good idea right this moment. Right, when I told you they encode their own shows. So it, doesn't, it does this weird thing with Dolby Vision and HDR10 where it does, it, they just won't mode switch. They said to me, we think it's inelegant to mode switch, which is the most Apple thing I've ever heard. Mm. They had some good points too, which is like some like bad TVs when they mode switch – Sometimes just like fail out mm. and they put up that weird green HDMI screen, right? If they don't get the handshake right again, whatever. Right. But like if you're buying the most expensive TV streamer on the market, I suspect you have a TV that can handle it, right? It feels that way to me. Um, and, and you have to have like a really bad TV to have those issues. Like the one that we always refer to as like the best TV to buy this year. It's not an expensive TV. It's $600. Yeah, the, T- the, Ro- the Roku TCL the TCL TV. Roku TV. Um, That's not going to have issues much. So, the, so the, the video output of this thing looks great in HDR and Dolby Vision. And everything else looks weird. You can set it to not do that, right? Like you can change the output setting. But when you do that, it lowers the refresh rate, and then the interface looks bad. Because you want the interface, the animations of the interface, to run at 60 hertz. Mm. 
But if you set on my TV, my TV only supports Dolby Vision at 30 or 24. So if you set it to Dolby Vision at 30, then the interface looks stuttery. Because what you wanted to do is switch to 60 frames per second for the interface and then switch to the native resolution of the movie when it's playing the movie. But they won't do it because it's inelegant. Right. So like, at some point, something is going to look bad because Apple has only picked one mode, and that mode is not actually the best mode for most things. So that, that's like the video side. And on the audio side, it doesn't light up my Atmos light because they don't support Atmos. Yeah. And so I like, asked them a hundred times, what's going on here? And they finally uh, said, look, it's, it's not a hardware limitation. We can do it. We're going to do it. And they said I was allowed to report. So we put it in the review. At some point, it's on their roadmap. They're going to support Atmos on this Apple TV. They won't really tell me why. But I strongly suspect, mostly because Dolby has published a document saying this is true, <laughs> that the reason they won't support it is because Siri on the box needs to come out of the speakers. So they need to take all of the audio coming in from the movie and like decode it so they get the audio back, mix Siri's voice to it, re-encode it, and send it back out. Oh, so that was going to be my next question. Hi, I wasn't even sure if I was still part of this segment. I've been, I, honestly, I've been writing a news story. <laughs> Hi, Lauren. <laughs> sorry if I... No, it's fine. I'm, I'm, sorry. I'm no. just ranting about just, lights. Just, <laughs> Don't so, mind me. Uh, so that, so that, that has to happen for streaming. It's not, this is not for downloaded content. No, it's, not like it's, it's the whole thing. So like if you're playing downloaded content, right, you're still streaming audio through the converter, right? You're, you're playing it in real yeah. time. Yeah, it's, so, out, it's outputting audio to the TV. Right, it's, at some point yeah. in your signal chain. So every other device doesn't decode the Atmos stream. They just pa- they bit stream it. Yeah. They pass it through. The, and then your receiver, the your TV. obvious your, thing to do. Right. That's doable. It's very doable. <laughs> but Apple wants Siri to always work. Uh-huh. And so they're afraid that if they do the Atmos pass through and you push the Siri button, your receiver will. Here's a solution. They put a little speaker on the Apple TV itself, yeah. and Siri talks to that. This is just my suspicion. And again, it's based on the fact that Dolby has literally published a document being like, let's talk about how Dolby works on the Apple TV. And they're like, it all happens on the thing. And it literally says right there, because Apple mixes Siri into the thing. And mm-hmm. Apple's like, we'll do it in a software update. I'm like, what's the holdup? And they're like, rrr, rrr, rrr. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's so the it has imagine, to be oh, this. Like, can you imagine trying? I mean, this is like ten times worse than trying to explain captive portal yeah. networks to people. Like, this is imagine if Siri just didn't work on the TV box and people would lose their minds because Siri or, or, can already be incredibly frustrating. And then, and but then being like, well, here's a white paper yeah, exactly. on how <laughs> this is supposed to be working and why it's not. I, I actually kind of understand Apple's approach to this. Right. I, I completely understand because it's so hard. All of these problems to even identify the single problem requires endless explanation of why that problem exists. So why does HBO Go look bad on the Apple TV plugged into an expensive LG OLED TV? Let's talk about refresh rates. And that's and why switching. this review is 2,500 words. <laughs> With a sidebar, <laughs> With a, man. Plus a sidebar. Uh, our wait, video team wait. was like, "Keep this under five minutes." So I was like, "I don't think I can." <laughs> to be to be clear, is the is the problem with the way that they mess with footage that's not HDR, the frame rate stuff, or the also the color? Like <laughs> when you're watching right. Game of Thrones, is the color or frame rate or both? Game of Thrones looks okay-ish, okay, and probably fine because HBO made it themselves, right. and Apple went and worked with HBO, okay. and HBO spent the time on its own stuff, even even through the HBO Go app. HBO Go looks worse than HBO Now. 
So that's, I, that's oh, good. Weird. There's all kinds good of stuff going there. Um, but what do we? I believe that's what we call quitting television. <laughs> fragmentation. It's super <laughs> fragmented. Uh, but the the problem, the pro, the pro, okay. So the problem. This is so just, insane. Just, just the sell. problem is the the when you play The Dark Knight on HBO Go. Right, right. It's a bad encode of The Dark Knight. It is worse than the encode of The Dark Knight on iTunes. Right. So it has built-in problems. Then you're not putting the TV in 1080p SDR where it knows, okay, I'm a 4K HDR TV. I'm getting a 1080p standard dynamic range signal. I am good at interpreting that to look the best on this panel because the software is running the panel. Presumably the software has been designed to run that panel. It doesn't know. It just thinks it's getting a 4K HDR signal from the Apple TV. The Apple TV doesn't know anything about the panel, so it's just making a bunch of sort of averaged out decisions about what to do with SDR to remap it into 4K HDR. Those decisions on average make bad encodes look worse. So when you watch The Dark Knight, it's a bad encode. It makes everything much brighter and all of the noise just jumps out at you. It gets real sharp and contrasty and shitty. And it wasn't just me who noticed that. Dave Katzmeyer at CNET, who I think is probably the best TV reviewer in the industry, called out exactly the same problem. Uh, Matthew Panzerino, TechCrunch, he was tweeting about it all day today because he just got his review unit, um, noticed the same thing. So it's the problem is because they won't switch modes, SDR content looks bad if it's a bad encode. If it's a really good SDR encode and iTunes is full of them, it looks fine. But the, your life of streaming content is full of shitty SDR encodes. Is, is this a problem if you have a lower level TV that's maybe 4K and not HDR? Or I don't think it's a problem for a 4K TV. Or 1080 TV? Yeah, a 1080 TV is fine, but then why would you buy this? You'd buy the 1080 one. What about, what about YouTube? You said YouTube's oh, not? Oh, so, and then YouTube, <laughs> Apple and Google have like literally a company level format war mm. about 4K video on the web. Apple supports HEVC, MP4, they're, they're in that side of that world, the patent pool world. Uh-huh. YouTube bought a company a couple years ago made their codec royalty free. It's called VP9. That's what YouTube generally supports. Apple won't support VP9. So Safari and a Mac generally won't play 4K YouTube. iOS won't play 4K YouTube. Chrome on the Mac, because Google can do whatever it wants in Chrome, can play 4K YouTube. But Chrome on the iPhone, because iOS is locked down, can't play 4K. TVOS, subset of iOS, the YouTube app can't bring in its own VP9 encoder and play 4K. So, like, they have to solve it. So I guess they're team softy. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, what? What is the opposite of crispy? Oh, yeah. <laughs> team soggy? I, mean, it's I don't like, know. <laughs> it's, the, the, the real issue is that YouTube is actually the biggest source of 4K HDR content available. I mean, it's, like, mostly, like, MKBHD and demo reels from, like, Hisense TVs. <laughs> but it's out there, and you can watch it, and it's great. Um, there's a bunch of... Uh, like let's play PS4 Pro stuff that's like super fun to watch in 4K HDR YouTube. None of it available to you. Um, and that this is all just limitations. Like if Apple wanted to unlock TVS a little bit and let Google put the VP9 codec on it, they could. And it's not like the iPhone where you're like going to run a software codec and run the processor hot and drain the battery. The thing is plugged into the wall and has a vent at the bottom. Mm-hmm. You will never know that it's like running less efficiently than the hardware decoder. So it's just like all of the video side 
is a bunch of decisions about, well, we can't control your panel. We don't trust mode switching. So we're just picking a mode, which was more or less fine in, when they were upscaling 1080p and running at 60 hertz. Like, it wasn't great, but it was fine. They have not solved the H- The HDR one is too complicated and makes things makes particularly bad encodes look way worse. And then on the audio side, again, they say it's coming, and I think they've they are they won't do it without Siri. If you can't push the button and Siri doesn't talk to you in Atmos, it's not gonna happen. And so who knows? And that's like just give me the switch. I need two switches. Yeah. This product would I would have given it a nine if they'd given me two switches. One to disable Siri right. and enable Atmos. Fine, I'll take it. I don't get Siri. I never use Siri on this thing anyway. And two, enable mode switching. Yeah. Just give me those two software Are you buttons. Buy it? No, it's like it, they say these things are coming, right? I strongly suspect that after all of this outcry, that they will enable mode switching. I think you know the the "Are you going to buy it?" question really comes down to whether you have content in iTunes or not. Because, like, as you made this yeah, point in the, in, in the review, uh, Neilai, like your 4K HDR TV has a lot of smart apps that are optimized in 4K HDR and all the content you stream through those is great. Yeah. So like the only reason to buy this is for the iTunes content. And if and you're if, not if in If you that bought world, a lot of movies in iTunes, they're getting upgraded for free. That is enormous value. Yeah. That alone, if you have a big enough iTunes library, justifies the price of this. And they'll thing. all be good encodes. And they'll all be great encodes because like Apple has its like, I don't know, team of encoding ninjas that like wander through Hollywood studios. Uh, I mean, that part, uh, so I've been really down on it, but like that part of it, Apple is one of the most powerful companies in the world. It has great relationships with the music industry and the movie industry. They go to the movie industry. They, they're they pushing the industry towards 4K HDR because they have the clout to do it. They've released a high-end device that's connected to their ecosystem. They handle the encodes for the industry. Um, they told me that the industry had expressed some of these concerns about HDR remapping, and they, you know, they'd proven to them that iTunes encodes could look good this way. Like they are operating at such a high level when it comes to where does the video, like when the video, when the movie leaves a director's hand, how is it going to look good when it shows up on a TV? Like they probably the highest level in the industry. They're right up there. They're you know super tight with Dolby, although apparently the Atmos engineers are locked out of that pizza party. Um, <laughs> sorry. So salty about it. Uh, like they're they're the ones who are going to figure it out. Just there's no one else competing at that level. They're going to figure out TV. The problem is that until they make the screen, they have to let me adjust their box to work better with my display. Right? You just have to let me do it. Like you make a Mac, right? You can plug a Mac into a monitor, and you can go fiddle with the monitor settings on the Mac all day and all night to make your monitor look good. That's exactly what where they need to land at with the TV. Or they just need to make the monitor and have it all auto-calibrate. And like the more I keep ranting about this, the more I'm like, I need to assign myself the, the piece that's like Apple should just build a $1,000 TV. Because if TCL can build a $600 Roku TV that everyone loves, I guarantee you Apple can build a $1,000 55-inch TV that runs an A10X chip in this software that is perfect. And like they should just do it because this controversy is not worth it to them, I don't think. The bummer about and everyone would buy that TV. They would buy that TV in a heartbeat. <laughs> the bummer about all of this on the high end, and and again, you made this point in your review, is that like this supports Dolby Vision HDR, which is the best HDR on the market, but it doesn't support Dolby Atmos, which is the best yeah. audio system on the market. So there's no way, and there's no device that does both. Right. Like 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 the Chromecast Ultra does both. Many many people have reminded <laughs> me today. 
<laughs> but do you know the problem the Chromecast Ultra is? Uh, support for both Vision and Atmos uh, comes device by device via firmware updates. And you have to use your phone as a remote. And you actually, but so whatever. But like <laughs> it, the Chromecast Ultra won't do Dolby Vision to my 2016 OLED, one of the most popular TVs released last year, until Google updates the firmware in the Ultra. Wow. And I just haven't done it yet. What are they doing? <laughs> Everything that's, is the worst. Apple, a, just make a TV. A whole other podcast. Do you see what I'm saying? They should yeah, just make a TV. Questions. Yeah. I have questions about your thoughts on the interface. Yeah. Because one of the things that we still hear a lot from people is that they just want Chromecast because they don't want an interface. They just want it. They just want to stream yeah. from their device, which I personally don't agree with. I like having a destination to go to on the screen and I don't mind the, the apps like experience, but is anything drastically different about that? Uh, no, it is largely no. the same Siri is like a little better at sorting things. You can be like, show me 4k HDR movies and it's, it's it mastered in 4k now. That's the big difference, right? The, the interface is. Oh yeah. The mastered. whole interface is in 4, 4k HDR. Yeah. Um, it, you can't tell. <laughs> right, especially because you should run that interface in dark mode anyway. You're like, those icons are brighter. Like, who cares? Um, uh, yeah, there's nothing notably different. Um, you know, that that TV app that they released, it's sort of like mm-hmm. it, it goes under noticed. It will be – I talked to a senior executive at Apple. It will eventually become the home screen of the TV, of the Apple TV. But it's, they need to populate. They need to get apps to support it and populate for, it with content. People who have not used the TV app, what happens when you open the TV app? So the TV app is not. It doesn't actually have any video in it itself. But it's it. All the apps that support it plug in, send it data about what you're watching, how far along you've gotten, and then it can make recommendations about what's in all your other apps. Apple can promote content that's in other apps. Apple can do things like put Planet of the Apps in the first home screen in case you want to have that experience in your life. So it's basically you, you download Hulu and Amazon when it comes to it and ESPN and CNN and I don't know, whatever else. And it'll show you like, here's what's in your iTunes library. Here's what's popping on Hulu. Here's the stuff you've watched. Here's what you can finish watching in all these apps. And it, it'll kick you into those apps. Okay. But then you can come back to it. I thought that was already the and default. The, and the big holdout is Netflix. The big, the big holdout is Netflix because they don't want to share the data with Apple. But Apple says that once you get Hulu and Amazon in the TV app, the combined catalog of the TV app will be so big, they'll be competitive with Netflix, and they think that da, 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 they think that'll all work itself. Yeah, well, you know what they don't have? Wet, hot American summer. Yeah. So. Uh, anyway, the point of all this is that this is a mess that fills me with rage, and I can <laughs> barely explain it because it is so infuriatingly complicated. But uh, <laughs> there it is. So if you want the, if you want the simple— yeah, I just want all the fucking lights, man. You want, you want the simple digestion of all of this? If you don't aren't a heavy iTunes content owner already, just go buy a streaming strict stick of your choice. Buy a Roku, Roku. Premiere Plus. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you should buy. It's seventy nine dollars, eighty nine dollars. Some of this one, I have one. It's great. Just yeah. Speak up. On you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it. Oh, go ahead, Paul. Oh, you go ahead. I was just gonna say that we haven't seen all the fall hardware launches yet. Yeah. And so I, don't rush out and buy anything right now. That's my advice. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will tell you, I was looking at prices uh, for all the competitors yesterday. At Amazon Fire stuff kind of getting discontinued out of stocky. It's happening, and there was that leak of the one with the dot, right? <laughs> Out of was, stocky. There, there was a, there's actually a leak of Amazon stuff in the past week. And then just today, our buddy Dave Zatz 
uh, leaked some info that Roku's got some new stuff coming. So, that's not uh, funny. That's not funny. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, like Lauren says, it is the season to not buy something. So yeah. just wait. Don't buy any of these Apple products I, we just reviewed. I wanted to speak <laughs> Don't buy anything that's, else. That's on, the, on that is the, the one, th- what you just said is the one thing that is kind of like blowing my mind is Apple just released a suite of flagship products and we're saying don't buy any of them. Yeah. That has never happened in my career. And it's kind of like mind boggling. Yeah. On behalf of our comment section, I wanted to point out that there's a device named the NVIDIA Shield TV. Oh, God. And it's now $179, and it's got a lot of specs. Okay. I'm going to review the Shield. Just, I, I, have say, a, I, I reviewed the Shield. No, you did a hands-on. Trust no, me. No, I reviewed it. No. But you can go answer your Here's what I there. know about your quote-unquote review of the Shield, because a thousand people have pointed out to me. You didn't give it a score, and you didn't tag it correctly, so it doesn't show up in the taxonomy of the site <laughs> when you look for set-top box reviews. So thus, you did not review it according to the many lawyers who populate the internet and are aware of our site taxonomy. So- I'm going to re-review the shield now that it's cheaper because everyone is all up on me about it. Get some plex. I, I we're going to we're going to pirate Steel. everything in the world. So many movies. <laughs> and we're going to we're going to plex the shit out of it. There's we're going to trans we're going to pass through Atmos bitstream from whatever the pirate pay gives me. I got to tell you on the shield, Sonic is awesome. You thought it was good on the Apple TV? Wait till you get a controller in your hands, and then you're Sonic. No, the $179 Shield does not come with the controller. No, get the get the one with the controller. I can buy an Xbox. <laughs> you can you can also buy an Xbox. I wanted to play video games. The hilarious point that we're at. Should we talk about these Google leaks for like two seconds? You want to run through them? Uh sure. Let me pull them up, and then we can we can wrap this. We're way over time. So if you haven't been paying attention, Google has an event on October 4th. It's its annual fall event for hardware. They Last year this time, they announced the Pixel and the Google Assistant, uh, the Google Home, probably a new Chromecast, a bunch of other stuff. Uh, so basically all the stuff, or what, well, we don't know all the stuff, but a whole lot of stuff that is expected to be announced at, on October 4th has been leaked. Uh, you can go look at what the Pixel 2 is going to look like. You can look at what the Pixel 2 XL is going to look like. Black and, okay, everybody needs to look at this Pixel 2 XL black and white. It's got a little little tasteful orange button on the side. It is the sexiest fo- I've only seen it from the back, but I am... It does look pretty really, good. I, I know we're not even supposed to use that adjective. It's a banned phrase. For, for gadgets because it's been overused in the past, but man... What, what phrase is that? Sexy. But the Pixel oh. 2 XL, black and white, with that little orange button is really attractive, and I'm very happy. I think about it looks it. very nice. Uh, there have been a lot of leaks for the Pixel line uh, in the past six months, and so if you look back, you can probably see what the front of it looks like. Uh, that one, the Pixel 2 XL, I believe, is expected to be an edge to edge screen. The Pixel 2, not the XL, is supposed to be different or whatever. I'm buying but it's the hell smaller. of these phones live on this show. Um, when they come but. Out. Those things, so the Pixel 2s have been leaked to, to high heavens, but the things that haven't been leaked and just came out were this new miniature home, which we're expecting to maybe be like a competitor to the Echo Dot. So it's like a little tiny Google Home. So that might be interesting. And then finally, a new Chromebook Pixel, which so, is allegedly called the Pixelbook, and it's going to cost 1500 bucks or something. And I'm buying the hell out of that. Yeah, like $1,300 optional stylus. And then I'm going to turn all those stylus. things on, and they're not going to have iMessage, <laughs> and I'm going to go back to my prison. <laughs> That's real. I don't know why you bother buying Android phones. Because I love point. them. They're so crazy. 
This is what Dieter was pointing out to me when the whole notch controversy is going down. Is like Android phones are fucking insane, and it's fine. Like all, they're just crazy. Like like this screen curves around the edge. This screen has a whole button set of buttons around the curved edge. When you look at this phone, I mean, you it can, might turn on. You could get an Android phone with a keyboard. <laughs> That's how crazy yeah. we're talking. Yeah. You can get an Android phone with a Bixby button. That's <laughs> and if you're like me, there's a you, dog butler you, on this you phone. You actually turn off the Bixby and then you just have a button that does nothing. So I have an $800 phone with a button that does nothing. And the button button dis- debate continues to rage. But- Dan, button. if you aren't aware Dan of this, Dan and I are on team button. Button, button. It's, he's reprogramming <laughs> all of our minds to pronounce this word incorrectly. S- speaking of button. dogs, button. There's a se- speaking of dogs, oh, there's a segment. There's a segment I do every week, <laughs> which we did not forget, <laughs> and it's called Dog Food Pods. <laughs> <laughs> it's happened. A pod style subscription service model. For for buying dog food, has it's not very pod like, but it's called Ya Doggy or or Ya Doggy. I'm not sure how you're supposed to say it. Um, it's a smart dog food scooper that I don't know how it works, but somehow over the magic of Bluetooth and a, and and it's supposed to. It senses every time you scoop food, and so it knows that you've scooped all the food, and then it orders more of the dog food. <laughs> That's pretty good. It reminds me of those it's, coffee. It's, it's bad. Coffee makers that have the Amazon was it Amazon Dash yeah, built into like, it that like you run out of coffee beans and it like orders more coffee beans. Dash, but instead of just a button like oh I'm out of dog food. I can push a button and get more dog food. This is always sensing when you're It also scooping. reminds me of that cup of water. That water cup, what was it called? The vessel that would tell you how much water you drank. Yes. Yeah. That's what it yes. Was. yeah. One of the late night was made fun of that. Was it all, John Oliver? Someone tore that thing to shred. Yeah. It was I, I, for, you know, for good reason. The other nice part, this is actually slightly convenient for feeding your dog. Because this this actually a situation with, with my apartment's cat is I never know if she's been fed or not. So I have to like text my roommate. Has the cat been fed or she's just being an asshole because she's a cat. And um, this this will this will let you know if anybody's fed the dog today. Unless I guess it gets how much, how much does this wonder gadget of the future cost? Forty or fifty bucks. <laughs> wow, it's a scoop. A scoop. <laughs> yeah, doggy. Oh god, I think that's. It's, how would it's, you we say can end that? There. Why, Don't buy that either. Why a doggy? Would you say that? Yeah, doggy. <laughs> or yeah, doggy. I think you say yeah, doggy. Yeah, doggy. I, I think it's yeah, doggy. Yeah, doggy. The internet ordered you more food. All right. Again, please don't buy anything that we've mentioned on the show. Today. <laughs> it's, all, it's the only oh, advice I can give oh, you. Oh, speaking of buying things, Google bought like a bunch of HCC. They bought some employees from HTC. Oh my God. There's so much news for this one, week. For $1.1 billion. They bought the Powered by HTC team. It wasn't just a bunch of employees. It's the team at HTC that makes the things for other people, which for the longest time was HTC. Yeah. Right? So like HTC was an OEM. They made phones for Verizon. They made phones for, I don't know, Sprint. <laughs> yep. Uh they made they made Palms phones actually for a minute there. Um so that the the powered by HTC team, which is the heart of HTC, was purchased by Google. Google also got a bunch of HTC's patents. HTC, whatever remains of it, 
is still going to make phones. Very unclear who <laughs> will do that. Maybe they could be powered by Google phones. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what? what? Yeah, yeah. HEC will then contract Google to make its yeah. next phone. That would be the, I, the ultimate irony. In my mind, I, I want this to be like Google. Google's like, ah, oh, man, we really got bit by that time when we bought Motorola. <laughs> I mean, maybe it worked out for us, but it just it wasn't super successful. Oh, shoot. A squeezable phone? <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes, that's. I mean, if you're not aware, the HTC's gimmick of the year is you can squeeze the sides uh, of the phone to do things, and the new Pixels are rumored to have this function. Like Google saw, of all things, Drop in HTC's portfolio, Google saw that as the value. Squeezability <laughs> patents. That's my dream. I don't know about you, but when I'm about to give all of my personal information to a Google Assistant, I just want the sides to be squeezed as I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know you what it is? It's like you get madder and madder as more information is given away, and you just keep squeezing the sides of the phone <laughs> as your grip gets, gets more intense. And then your Google Assistant comes to life. Yeah. God. Okay. Don't buy anything. <laughs> just <laughs> chill. You got an iPhone 7? Just hang back. Say, put that money away. A lot of things are coming out. And then we're going to review them all again. Verge.com slash guidebook. The Verge.com slash guidebook. By the way, I went to the Verge.com slash Verge for <laughs> offer code Verge for a Ford. Really disappointed. Oh, so that one expired. Sorry. Yeah. It's too late to get 20% off your Verge visit. <laughs> I feel like I have an offer code for the merch. Anyway, look, next week I'm going to do a house ad for our own t shirt store. And offer you all an offer code, which it will just be offer code. <laughs> and you can get the emails t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Emails t-shirt is choice. That is our show. We are way over time. Lauren, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. And I'm sorry that I've been a little less engaged this segment, not only because you are the number one TV nerd that I know, and I figured it's better just to let you talk about it, but because I was writing a news story. So it, go to theverge.com. I think what Lauren just described there is that Lauren did something way more valuable with her time than I just Lauren, did. No, Lauren, <laughs> Lauren I, posted I, her scoop yeah. while talking to us. This and it wasn't amazing. a ya doggy scoop. <laughs> see, see what I'm saying? No. <laughs> 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 I just that was the best, Dan. I just we should just ended at that. All right, Dan, thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to do. Paul, you're fine. You're welcome. Uh, there are other podcasts to listen to, including Lauren's podcast, Too Embarrassed to Ask. Lauren, who did you have on the show this week? We had Ann Wojcicki on the show this week. She's the founder of 23andMe, which is uh, a well-known genetic testing company, DNA testing company. And um, we had a lot of questions from people about how secure it is to basically to a company like 23andMe. And we, we asked her a lot of questions about that. So be sure to listen. Very cool. You host that show with Kara Swisher. Kara Swisher has a podcast called Recode Decode, which is excellent. And Peter Kafka, also on the Recode team, has a show called Recode Media, which I personally love very much. Uh, and then we're, I promise we're going to have more Verge shows sometime. I asked Casey it, is, it is an empire. Casey Newton owes me a, a one page for the show that he's thinking about. It's going to be something. But anyway, that's our show. Thank you for listening to that insane Surround sound rant, but I think that's why you come here. Anyway, that's it. Rock and roll. Paul. Paul. Goodbye. Paul. Oh.